We're so glad you could join us for the mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with Him. So let's get into the Word. Uh, so this week uh, I had, um, was doing some work and had reason to be writing out um, COVID, which you know, requires the caps lock or you've got to hold the shift key down. And I recall that, the, well, we've kind of dropped the 19. Uh, it's actually meant to be called COVID-19, but we've kind of dropped it. And maybe because that's, it's, we're in 2021, not 2019 anymore. But I just had that thought of, oh, Lord, oh, my God. Uh, in, a, in the appropriate sense, we're often trying to tell our children, don't say, oh my God, say, oh my gosh, or something like that. But this was a really, oh my God, please, moment that we're still dealing with 2019 in the middle of 2021. Uh, and so COVID-19 has changed a lot about life across the world. And as, as we remember to be grateful that we live in one of the um, best spaces to be right now in terms of that. But it's still changed many things for us in Australia. And, and one of those things is it's normalised getting your temperature checked to go into spaces that we never would have kind of thought that was a reasonable thing before. Um, we're six months out of preschool in our family, but I remember last year, every time we took our youngest into preschool, he had to have you know, a gun held to his head and his temperature checked, uh, which unhelpfully, that seemed to be like a Pavlov's dog association with coughing for him, and he would start coughing uh, whenever he had his temperature checked. Um, I went to visit someone at a hospital in Sydney a few weeks ago and I had to have my temperature checked, not going in as a patient. This wasn't a part of an assessment of, of my medical needs. This was just, am I allowed in the building? I had to have my temperature checked. Um, our Prime Minister, and there's no political statement here, our Prime Minister has been overseas and has returned, whether we like that or not, but the photo that he put on Instagram of, of his return was a picture of him with a gun held to his head checking his temperature, saying it's good to be home. Now, any, that photo three years ago would have been ridiculous to us. But we all know what that means now. Uh, COVID-19 has normalised the idea of getting our temperature checked. But checking our temperature has always been a way, one way of, of indicating sickness. If our temperature is too high, something's wrong. Uh, our body's fighting some kind of illness. We have uh, a fever if it's too high. Also, if it's too low, something else is wrong. If our body temperature is not in the sweet spot, something is wrong. And so this passage today begins with Jesus taking the temperature of the church. And in fact, I think it's something that we should normalize a bit more. All of us. Taking the temperature of the church. Taking our own spiritual temperature. And so Jesus begins with this church temperature check in, in verse 15 and 16. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you, or we could translate that vomit you, out of my mouth. This is a blah. blah. That's lukewarm kind of feeling. And so Jesus finds the temperature of the church in Laodicea to be lukewarm. And so for a church, for a believer, unlike the body where you want it to kind of be in that sweet spot in the middle, not too hot, not too cold, for a church, the worst temperature to be, according to Jesus, is lukewarm. They are neither hot nor cold. They're neither burning with passion for Jesus or disengaged completely from their faith in Jesus. 
Other words we might use to describe lukewarm are mediocre, coasting, comfortable, complacent, going through the motions. If we were to use an emoji to be that meh kind of one. Meh, I'm not smiling, I'm not sad, I'm just bleh. And so Jesus wishes us, wishes us, wishes, too many S's, that they were either hot or cold. There's a bad taste in his mouth. And I'm sure you've all had that feeling where you go to the kitchen sink for a glass of water and you think it's cold, but the person before you had, had used hot water and you're kind of looking for refreshment. And there's something that just tastes bad about warm water from the sink. Or the opposite, if we're expecting it to be hot and it's kind of gone lukewarm, it, it changes the flavour. There's a distaste for Jesus with the lukewarm church. And so, of course, his preference would be that the church is hot, on fire, burning with passion for him. But he says cold is better than lukewarm. So what, what is the difference between cold and lukewarm? Why would Jesus rather, you, you think he'd just get happier and happier and happier as we slide it up the temperature scale in a spiritual sense. But he says he'd rather you were cold than lukewarm. What's the difference? Well, I think the difference is at least you know it when you're cold. You can't fool yourself that you're hot when you're really cold. You can't kid yourself that you're on fire for Jesus when you're completely you know, at absolute zero in terms of the engagement you have with your faith in Him. You can't kid yourself when you're cold, but you can when you're lukewarm. If you think about the bathtub, you might linger in a lukewarm bath. It started out hot, and it was really nice. Now it's lukewarm, but you just, you, you just linger there because you kind of convince yourself it's still okay, it's still, it's still, it's still hot enough. You might linger in a lukewarm bath, but you'd hop straight out of a cold bath. When I was a sports person, it was kind of at the beginning of that, you know, ice bucket thing, not the challenge, the after a game, we're going to make you sit in a bucket of ice um, to refresh your muscles kind of thing. I can tell you, you were only in there because you're forced to be there. You hop straight out. A lukewarm bath, you might linger... A cold bath, you hop straight out. A lukewarm faith, you might convince yourself that it's hot enough. A cold faith, there's no kidding yourself. And so Jesus would rather the church be cold so that they could know it and see it rather than be lukewarm and kidding The laws of thermodynamics really apply to this situation. In the physical realm, the second law of thermodynamics, part of it says isolated systems spontaneously evolve towards thermal equilibrium. What that means is that your bath will always end up at room temperature. If there's a differential between the the system of the hot water in the bath and the system of the the air around it, if there's a differential, they will balance each other out. They will always find equilibrium. Your bath will always end up lukewarm. If you take a hot object, like a coffee, a cup of coffee, and you put it in a room, it will always end up at room temperature. 
this object, the coffee, will warm the room slightly. If it's hotter than the room, it will slightly warm the room. The room's big, the coffee's small, that impact's going to be little. The room's going to have a bigger impact on the small coffee than the coffee has on the room. The room will cool the coffee, or in more technical terms, to not get picked up by the scientists out there, there will be a heat loss to the room from the coffee. We could insulate the object. This is like this coffee cup, you know, you put hot coffee in it and an hour later you think it's going to be cooled down now and it scalds your mouth. We could insulate the coffee. But all that will do is slow the heat loss. You can't prevent it. The point I'm getting to is that everything ends up lukewarm unless it's acted on by a heat source. Everything ends up lukewarm unless it's acted on by a heat source. So if it's not about a coffee cup, if we place a church or a believer with burning passion for Jesus in the world, that person will add some spiritual heat to the world. But the world's big. And so we will lose our spiritual temperature to the world. Eventually, we will all end up lukewarm. We will all end up room temperature in our faith. Or worse than that, not in Jesus' eyes, but in, a, in another sense, we'll end up cold in our faith. But at least then we'll know it. The world will suck the spiritual fire from us. And, and, and so some churches take the approach of, well, we need to insulate ourselves from the world. We need to kind of separate ourselves from the world and hide away so that, that we're insulated. But we'll just be like the coffee cup, the, the insulated one. The heat might last longer if we can get a group of on-fire believers together and take them away from the world. But eventually, the heat loss is still going to happen. Not to mention the fact that it would completely kill the mission of the church. And so what we need is a source of heat to keep us burning with passion for Jesus. And so this morning I want to ask you, what is your spiritual temperature? What I really want to ask you is to ask the Holy Spirit in your heart right now, what is my spiritual temperature? Because this is a message for everyone who is not the most on fire for Jesus that they'd ever been. And if I ask for a show of hands, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if I ask for a show of hands of who's not the most on fire for Jesus they've ever been, then, then my hand's going up. And if you are the most on fire for Jesus that you've ever been, then this is a message for even you as well. See, my concern, church, is that we're doing just enough to keep ourselves lukewarm. And by doing, I'm not talking about a workspace righteousness. I mean that we're engaging just enough with Jesus, just enough with the church, just enough with the scriptures to keep ourselves lukewarm, because if we're lukewarm, we can convince ourselves that we're hot enough. And so what's happened to Laodicea? To step away from us for a moment, because that's uncomfortable, isn't it, to think about us. Let's step back to Laodicea and, and think about what's, what's happened to Laodicea. Why are they lukewarm? Well, the answer Jesus gives is that they have a blind spot. 
they don't actually see how their spiritual heat has been lost to the environment around them. And so Jesus says to the church, essentially, to check your blind spots. We're all familiar, I think, with the concept of a blind spot. It happens when we're driving and we want to change lanes and, and we look in our mirror and there's this gap between what it shows us back there and where a car could be. And so we need to turn our head to check that there's nothing in the blind spot. Uh, There's actually uh, a visual blind spot. There's a place at the back of our retina where the optical nerve joins the back of our retina and there's no visual receptors there, so we can't actually see anything in that spot on our eye. Our brain makes up the gap. But there is a spot, especially if you close one eye and they're not covering up, there is a spot where you physically cannot see anything. Your brain assumes what's in that space. We also have other kinds of blind spots. There's aspects of ourselves that we can't see. Aspects of our behaviour, the way we show up to others, uh, the way we, 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 other people experience us. There's aspects of our identity that we can't see about ourselves. And we also have spiritual blind spots. There's, there's aspects about our spiritual identity that we cannot see ourselves. And so this is what's happening for Laodicea. This is why they don't see how the world's sucked the spiritual temperature out of them. This is what Jesus says in verse 17. You say, and this is what they see of themselves, this is what they see when they check the mirror, you say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. There's a big difference between what the church sees and what Jesus sees. What they see is that they're rich, that they're wealthy, that they don't need anything. See, Laodicea was an extremely wealthy city. Uh, Commentators describe it as the Swiss bank of the ancient world. It was on the kind of major east-west trading route and so people would come and, and trade their money there or bank their money there rather than have to carry everything back and forth. So it was kind of like the hub, the bank, where all of the wealth was stored. And if you know anything about uh, banks, they're a little bit like casinos. The house always takes some. And so this was an extremely wealthy city to live in. It was also famous for uh, a breed of sheep that lived in the area that they farmed that produced an extremely fine quality black wool that they sold and made them very profitable. Uh, It was also across the river from a hot spring uh, that uh, kind of around the hot spring and the ancient medical understanding of the day became essentially a medical centre of that region. Uh, particularly um, a kind of salve they would make, I think, out of the muddy goop that came out of the hot spring for people's eyes um, to help with remedy um, eye issues. And so like any church, the church has become like the city in ways they don't fully see. They've become comfortable. They've become, in a sense, what we need... Nothing. They they probably don't, well, they don't realize it. They don't see it. They probably share on their Instagram stories, hashtag blessed life about everything because it's so good to be a believer in Laodicea. We're rich, we're wealthy, we don't lack anything. We've got the finest quality black 
pants because of all that wealthy black sheep farming. That's what they see, but what Jesus sees is very different. He sees that they are wretched. See, they think they're lacking nothing, but they don't actually see the wretchedness, the despair of their situation. They don't see that they're actually pitiful. There's something about their condition that Jesus says others should actually take pity on you. They don't see that they're poor because they've got so much money. The people with lots of money are the people that find it hard to see that they're actually poor in a spiritual sense. And Jesus says, ironically, intentionally so, that even though you're the center of eye health for the ancient world, you're blind. And to add to that, despite all your rich black wool, you're naked. It's kind of like an emperor's new clothes situation happening in the spiritual sense. And so what Jesus sees is extremely different to what they see. And the reality is that their material comfort blinds them to the spiritual reality. It's like the pillar on the side of your car that blocks you from seeing what's in your blind spot. It's like the space where your retina attaches to the back of your eye so you don't see in that space. You assume what is true about your physical situation must be true about your spiritual situation. God must love us because we're so blessed. They don't see that their situation is desperate and dire. We um, have a car that's nearing the end of its serviceable life and uh, we're not in a position to buy a new one yet, but we've started to, to look and they all have fancy things on them now that they didn't last time I was in the car market. And one of those things is a little light that most of them have on your mirror that when you put your blinker on and look at your mirror, it'll flash to say there's something in your blind spot. And I saw one that even has a little screen that pops up where the speedo is. That will, It's got a camera that actually shows you what's in your blind spot when you put your blinker on. And, and it's kind of like Jesus is being that for the church here. He, he's the one that reveals what's in the blind spot. Now, when you're driving a car, one of these fancy newfangled ones, you've probably all got that thing and anyway, but... Uh, and the light flashes or the camera shows what's there, you can still choose to ignore that. You can choose to say that information is incorrect. I can't see anything in my mirror. Here I come. Like a... Well, I'm not going to say... It's going to say like a Sydney driver. But, but I didn't say that. So no one should be offended because I was only going to say it. And so Jesus is the one revealing to the church what's in their blind spot. For them, it's their wealth, their comfort, their prosperity is blinding them to their spiritual reality. For us, the question is, what's in our blind spot? Now, of course, it couldn't be anything like what's blinding Laodicea. Or perhaps it could. What's in our blind spot? What are we not seeing because of our physical, natural reality? What are we not seeing about our spiritual temperature and what's rubbing that from us? Another way to ask that question is, what do we think is okay? But if we ask the Holy Spirit about that, he would suggest that it's not. 
What decisions are we making about the value of the things that fuel our spiritual fire that we justify? That really we know are signs of a lukewarm faith. See, I think if we're in that space that we're, we're, we're coming up with justifications about why we don't engage with Scripture, why we aren't engaging with Jesus in, in intimacy, if we're coming up with reasons why uh, to justify, well, you know, this is, this is why I'm not at church on a Sunday morning, engaging with the believers of Jesus, being encouraged and encouraging. If we're coming up, and I'm not, this is not a works righteousness thing that God's cranky because you didn't come to church. I'm just saying if we're in that space that we're starting to justify then I suggest that we're starting to call things okay, that maybe the Holy Spirit, not in a shame and condemnation sense, but in this space of what's our temperature, would say, well, that's not okay. What are we calling healthy? That in reality, if we were asked the Holy Spirit, he would reveal to us that it's not really healthy. What are we putting above the things that fuel our faith? What are we prioritising? Here's my fear, church, to touch on one thing there, that we're raising a generation that thinks sport on a Sunday is more important than faith. I'm not saying, one of my own children's not here this morning, so I say that to say this is not about wanting to heap on shame because... Your kids aren't here for a Sunday. This is not about wanting to heap on shame. I'm not saying you have to drag them kicking and screaming because we all know that's not going to build faith. But I'm just saying, what decisions are we making today that we might regret in 20 years' time? What are we calling okay that's not really okay? What does Jesus see in our blind spot? Or have we in fact tucked Jesus away in the blind spot? He's there, we know he's there, but we're not willing to see what he's going to reveal about ourselves. Jesus reveals what's in our blind spots. But he also reveals the solution. In fact, he is the solution. This is simple. It's like Kids' church, the answer is Jesus. In Revelation 3, 18 and 19, he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke in discipline. So be earnest and repent. And so Jesus has the answer to every issue that he reveals in their blind spot. He has the the answer to everything they really need. And and everything is intentionally a mirror of what they think they have in this physical. Jesus meets our every spiritual need. He covers their shame. Come to me and buy clothes to cover your shame. He says, come to me and buy gold refined in the fire. He says, there's things that are more valuable than material wealth that you can get when you come to Jesus. He says, 
come and buy salve for your eyes that you might see. And so these are all mirrors, as I said, of what they think they have in the physical, that they might gain what they really need in the spiritual. But ultimately the answer is Jesus. He says, come to me. Don't rely on what the world offers you. Don't rely on the gold, the clothes, the remedies that the world offers you. And I am not saying don't go to the doctor. I'm saying don't think the world has the answer to our deep spiritual need. Don't think the world has the answer to the cravings of our heart. C.S. Lewis said, if there's something, this is a paraphrase, if there's something that my soul desires that I cannot have met by the things in this world, it shows that I'm created for a world other than this. It shows that I need to go to another source than what I can access in this world to not be wretched, pitiful, poor and naked and blind. The answer is Jesus. And so he says he, he rebukes and disciplines those he loves. And so the challenge of that for me, and we've, we've come to this verse every time uh, throughout this whole series that Jesus rebukes us, just to, just to remind ourselves, it's okay, he loves us, he's, he's not an angry God, he's rebuking us because he loves us, he's disciplining us because he loves us. But the challenging thing for this, for me, is if we experience no discipline in our relationship with Jesus, then we've placed ourselves outside of his love. Not that he doesn't love us, but that if we are experiencing no shaping, no discipline, no correction in our relationship with him, then we've placed him in the blind spot. That we've stepped out of the fullness of a loving relationship with him. Because to be loved by Jesus is to be shaped, to be disciplined and to be corrected by him. So that we might become more like him for our own good and for his glory. And so he says, because I love you, is why I discipline. It's why I correct. It's why I rebuke. Sometimes what feels really harsh when he says, oh, you're actually wretched, pitiful and poor when you thought you were this. But it's because he loves. He doesn't want to leave us like that. He doesn't want us to run into the semi-trailer that's in our blind spot. It says, be earnest and repent. The Greek word for earnest here is, um, could be translated in English as zeal, as enthusiasm, as passion. So it doesn't just mean sincerely repent. It means that Jesus is saying to the lukewarm, be passionate, be enthusiastic, be on fire for Jesus. Don't settle for mediocre and lukewarm. You know, in the lukewarm bathtub, you might want to linger there because it's comfortable, kind of feels hot enough. But Jesus would say to us, don't settle for lukewarm. Be earnest and repent. Repent means to return to him wholeheartedly. 
Jesus himself is the heat source of our passion for him. He is the one who sets our hearts on fire. In verse 20, he says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. This word that we have translated here as here I am is is often translated in older translations as behold. It's like Jesus is saying, hey, yo, I'm at the door. It's the one thing I miss about the wooden pulpit. He's knocking and yelling and shouting at the door, letting us know that he's there. The question is, do we hear? Or are we too comfortable and complacent and distracted to know that he's at the door? I was chatting with Carl about this passage this week and he said he's just got this picture of us on the couch with headphones on watching cat videos on YouTube so we don't hear Jesus standing outside the the door. We're so comfortable and content. And I felt some rebuke from Carl in that. Not that he intended it. Because I don't like cats. But I confess to you this morning, not so much on YouTube, but I've sat and sometimes got caught up on my strolling through, watching, oh, what's this cat going to do? I don't even like them. And the whole time Jesus is at the door. And I'm on flipping Instagram. Sometimes, literally, with my noise-cancelling earpods in. The tragicness of this picture is this is Jesus creating a metaphor of the church in which he is standing outside of it, knocking on the door and yelling out, wanting to be invited in. That's a sobering picture for the church. There's also a shift to the personal here, though. Because he says, to the one who hears. So we don't get to say, well, my church, dot, dot, dot. The church in Laodicea doesn't get to say, well, my church isn't really on fire for God at the moment. Because he says, to the one who hears, I will eat with them and they with me. especially for the time that this was written. It's true now that sharing a meal together is an intimate thing, but, but in the time that this was written, this is a very uh, beyond the act of marriage together and the consummation of that, this is one of the most intimate things you can do with another person in ancient times is to share a meal with them. The eating and drinking is a picture of intimacy. And so in in this earnestness, in this repenting, Jesus is saying, I'm knocking at the door. He's saying to you, here I am. I'm knocking. Will you let me in? Will you invite me in to your life for greater intimacy with Jesus? He's simply saying, will you open the door? Uh, See, normally in this space, I think, I I realise I would often say the answer to our our spiritual passion is we need to pursue intimacy with Jesus. We need to chase it. We need to hunt intimacy with Jesus. But the reality is, he's at the door knocking, saying, will you let me in? All we need to do is open the door. Intimacy with Jesus is the heat source 
that keeps our spiritual passion on fire. Intimacy with Jesus is the heat source that keeps our spiritual passion on fire. And so Jesus extends us that invitation for intimacy. Saying, I'm at the door. Anyone who hears, I'll come in. We'll do intimacy together, but it's not just an invitation for now. It's an invitation for intimacy both now and forevermore. Because what sustains our passion, our fire, our our spiritual temperature in this life is our reward in the life to come. He, He says in verse 21, to the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down on my father's throne. Jesus is saying that the, the picture of heaven, and we know he's given us a, a bunch of pictures to the churches, to, to being victorious in him throughout this series of letters to the churches. The, pardon me, the picture he gives here is one of sitting with him on his throne. That is a remarkable picture of us getting to share in a victory that we did nothing to achieve. It's also a remarkable picture of intimacy that we would share a seat with Jesus. What makes it even more remarkable is he says, just as I share the throne with the Father, there is no more intimate relationship in all of eternity, in all of the cosmos, than the relationship shared between the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. That one one relationship that breaks our mathematical systems, where there's three but there's one. And there's one, but there's three. There is no more intimate relationship. And Jesus, not flippantly, because he doesn't say anything flippantly, but it almost seems like it's just dropped in there that we could miss it, that, that the relationship that we will have with him in eternity is the relationship that's shared amongst the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if you're afraid of intimacy with Jesus, then we better start pushing through those barriers now and letting him in because we've got something coming in eternity. But I hope you're not afraid. I hope this morning you're being filled with a desire to open the door to greater intimacy with the hope and excitement of eternity spent intimately with him. And so this letter finishes as the other ones finish. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The irony of every letter ending in that way is that we start to not hear that. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And so do you have ears? If so, then this is what Jesus would say to you, to me. What is your temperature? What, what's in your blind spot? Whatever it is, the, the answer 
is opening the door to greater intimacy with Jesus because he is the one that fuels our spiritual passion and fire. As our team come up, I just want to leave us with one more picture, one more image that, that goes beyond just the personal and the individual. As I was thinking about this passage and laws of thermodynamics and um, getting locked, lost in that wormhole for a while, I thought about how in winter, in Yass, you need to rug up. Unless you're exercising. I mean, at least initially you might need your jumper, but if someone goes for a run, if someone's exercising, then they don't need to insulate. They can take off their jumper. My children running around playing soccer, all of us parents on the sideline are, you know, wearing 17,000 layers and shivering still. They're in shorts and T-shirts running around and, oh, I'm so hot. When, when you're exercising, you don't need to insulate because you've got your own heat source. Your, your muscles are producing heat internally. And actually, if you get enough hot people, temperature, you can warm a whole room. Uh, the, the, the more hot people, the more people who are hot and sweaty and exercising and producing heat from within their bodies, the more people you get together, the larger the room you can heat with just their body heat. Because they're producing more heat than they lose to the environment. And so I want to say to us this morning, I want to encourage you to open the doorway to intimacy for yourself that your spiritual temperature might flick off the end of the gauge. But I also want to say a person who exercises their faith has their own heat source. They don't need to insulate. They don't need a spiritual jumper to protect them from the world to keep warm. And if we get enough people burning with passion for Jesus, that could heat up a whole church. If we get enough ones who hear and open the door, who come on fire for Jesus, that could heat a whole church. If we get a enough people then we can heat a bigger space Uh, perhaps enough people who are spiritually hot could heat a whole town a whole nation perhaps the whole world this is the type of global warming that we actually need not in degrees celsius but in passion for jesus But it begins with opening the door. It begins with intimacy for Jesus. He stands right now at the door. Saying, hey, behold, I knock. Whoever hears and opens the door, I'll come in. And so Jesus, may we hear right now, hear your knocking. May we hear your voice. May we open the door 
May we come on fire for you again. As you have a distaste for the lukewarm, may we have a distaste for our own lukewarm spirituality. May we no longer kid ourselves that we're hot enough. So may we come to you and open the door. So I pray this morning that you would set hearts on fire. I pray this morning that you would set my heart on fire. With an inferno of passion for the name of Jesus. I pray that as we open the door, the temperature of our church would increase. The temperature of our town, of our nation, of our planet would increase. That the fire of a great revival would sweep across our planet. But first, may we open the door. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in His Word, stay in His love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.